0: Artificial intelligence, the experience factor, and the work-learn connection all have our attention because we expect them to be of continuing and growing importance in the learning landscape. I'm Celisa Steele.
1: I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast.
0: Welcome to episode 350 of the leading learning podcast. Yes, that's right. 350 episodes. And we're going to claim having 350 episodes out in the world as a milestone.
1: I certainly think it's a milestone. I think I'm prepared to have a Twitter duel with anybody who tries to tell me it's it's <laughs> not. That is a lot of podcast episodes that we've put out there, hopefully to the benefit of, of humanity, or at least the learning business world. And you know, milestones are Always opportunities to reflect. We're, of course, big fans of reflection. And, you know, that can be reflection on what's past, what's to come. But we want to focus this milestone episode again, it is a milestone on three areas we're thinking about just based on what we're seeing happening with learning and on what we're hearing from learning businesses.
0: Yes, milestones are great times for reflection. We are big fans of reflection. But I think milestones are also great times for gratitude. So we want to be sure to thank you, dear listeners, for your very important part in getting us to this milestone. Without you listeners, we would have not made it to 350. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing episodes with colleagues. Thank you for making time to discuss with your team and to delve into the ideas and topics that we touch on in episodes.
1: And we also want to thank all the interviewees who've carved out time to talk with Solisa or me and and share their expertise and opinions and stories. I'm not 100% certain how many of our episodes have been interviews, but we typically run a couple of interviews and then have a, quote, Jeff and Solisa episode. So we've certainly done at least 200 interviews and probably more like 250.
0: And we also want to be sure to thank the sponsors that we've had over the years who have helped to offset the costs of the considerable effort that goes into doing the podcast week in and week out.
1: Yes. And if you're looking for a way to help leading learning out, we do hope you'll sign up for our free newsletter and visit the show notes for episodes follow us on social media, and just generally spread the word so that others can benefit from what we're doing here on the Leading Learning Podcast.
0: So with some thanksgiving, let's now turn to those three areas that you mentioned, Jeff. And for each of the three areas, we'll offer a couple of points for consideration, things that might prompt some reflection or action in your learning business.
1: So first up, On our list is uh, what's really kind of the the elephant in the room these days, maybe the robotic elephant in the room, and that, of course, is artificial intelligence.
0: That's right. There's been incredible buzz about AI since the release of ChatGPT in November of 2022. And in fact, we've dedicated a couple of recent podcast episodes to AI already but ai still has our attention and in fact we think it deserves attention because of the kinds of disruption that it's causing or that it will cause
1: and it's going to cause more because gpt4 is now out so going forward chat gpt will be based on that and it's just going to it's just going to continue getting better even though there are still pitfalls with it and we cover some of those in our episode on it but right now we want to highlight two broad areas where AI seems most likely to impact learning businesses.
0: And the first area we have in mind is core work. What is it that you do day in and day out, and how will AI impact that? And in particular, how might it help you do what you're already doing faster and more efficiently? One way to think about this is to use the domains of the learning business maturity model as a way to kind of categorize your core work. And as a reminder, the learning business maturity model, which we've talked about on the podcast before, but we'll make sure to include in the show notes a link to the model if you're not familiar with it or would like a refresher. But there are five domains in that model and those domains are strategy, leadership, marketing, portfolio, and capacity. So you can just kind of use those five areas as sort of buckets to categorize the types of work that you're already doing. And that could be all kind of all over the map from decision making to content production to evaluation and analysis. And what you want to do is just sort of make this documentation of what you're already doing and then begin to think about, okay, how might AI be leveraged to help you do what you're already doing faster and more efficiently?
1: Yeah, it's a great time to start doing that sort of inventory, to start experimenting. This is a great topic if you've got a team that that you're working with, to sit down and have a session or a few sessions about this with your team. Look at whether you use the maturity model or you just have other ways that you sort of lay out your day-to-day operations. How can you layer AI on top of that to get that greater efficiency, to get that greater speed, and frankly, just to get better at, at the things you're doing? How is AI going to help you get better so you don't have to have some fabulous new innovation that you're going after with AI. That may come eventually as you get used to using the tools, but right now, just again, look at that core work and how does AI apply to that core work.
0: And we do encourage you to actually do some experimentation. So you do this inventory work, think about how AI could be applied and then try it out. And it's not always going to be necessarily a win. You may find out that, you know, whatever AI tool you tried out at first, isn't actually all that helpful, that in fact, actually your time and effort went up some. And then you'll just have to assess, is it because you were learning the new tools and you can expect actually for that process to get much faster and better over time, or is it just that it wasn't a good fit? So we don't necessarily think that AI tools are going to be a, you know, a panacea and fix everything, but you do need to be trying it out and do need to be thinking about where it could make sense in your learning business.
1: Yeah, and along with that, you know, if you have not yet tried ChatGPT or tools that it's built on like Jasper AI or just some of the other common tools that are out there, I mean, now is the time. You have to roll up your sleeves and actually see what these programs can do so that you have an understanding of that. I mean, I think if we were able to, we'd ask our listeners to raise their hand and say whether they actually have tried ChatGPT at this point or not. In fact, you can just do that wherever (laughs) you are, as long as you're not driving, just randomly raise your hand if you've tried ChatGPT and the people around you can stare at you and wonder what on earth you're doing. But we'll know in our hearts that out there, you've told us you've, you've tried ChatGPT or another AI tool.
0: So that's the first area where we're seeing an impact of AI on learning businesses, and it's around the speed and efficiency with which you can do your core work. A second area where we see AI having implications for learning businesses is in the area of learner experience and learner expectations. And we would make the argument that learner expectations have already been changing. COVID was a big driver of this Essentially, everyone was forced online during the pandemic and then there was the fatigue from being on Zoom all the time and people were trying to figure out what they do or don't like when it comes to e-learning experiences. And so these learner expectations have been changing and evolving, but now with AI, it's going to just be another sort of push in learner expectations.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the shift that we've just already been seeing for years, even pre-COVID, just now really being accelerated, reaching a tipping point. I mean, the adoption of of ChatGPT itself is sort of a harbinger of this. I mean, it went from zero to, you know, more than 100 million users, like really rapidly. I mean, people are obviously jumping in and using this. And, you know, when you start using AI tools as they become integrated into things, like search and our everyday types of software that we use. Think of just, you know, your common set of productivity tools that you're using at work. AI is going to be there if it's not there already, you know, and what that is essentially enabling is kind of on the fly creation of very targeted, very personalized learning content. You can think of back in the day, electronic performance support systems, EPS, were sort of a big thing in the learning and training world, and that happened before the web even came along, and then the web came along and became even a bigger possibility, but we're now reaching the point where that's just such a reality. It's embedded in our lives. We all have these sort of performance support systems, learning systems, that AI is just making better and better for us all the time, and that's inevitably going to change expectations. It's going to inevitably change how expertise is thought of and valued and what role role formal learning experiences really will best play moving forward since so much of this is really informal, kind of in the flow of life
0: and work. And so if you think about these two points that we just raised, I mean, one is more internally focused. What is it that AI might mean for how you as a learning business operate? The second one is more externally focused on your learners, on the audience that you serve. What will this broader access to AI mean for what learners can and hope to do during a learning experience.
1: So that's one of the first areas we're focused on as we find ourselves settling into this great milestone of 350 episodes of the podcast. And uh, you've already heard from us on the podcast about AI. You're hearing from us about it right now. You will no doubt be hearing quite a bit more from us about it as we move forward. But we promise to try to look at it in ways that are really useful, valuable, helpful, to learning businesses because obviously there's a lot of buzz out there around AI right now and people are probably getting sick of hearing about it, but but we do have to embrace it and be constructive about how it's going to shape our experience and our businesses going forward.
0: As someone who listens to the Leading Learning Podcast, you should know about the Leading Learning Newsletter, which you can subscribe to at leadinglearning.com slash inbox. The newsletter is inbox intelligence for learning businesses and helps you understand the latest technology, marketing, and learning trends and grow your learning business. Best of all, it's a free resource. As a subscriber, you get Leading Links, our monthly curated collection of resources to help you grow the reach, revenue, and impact of your learning business, the Podcast Digest, a monthly summary of podcast episodes released during the previous month plus periodic announcements highlighting leading learning webinars and other educational opportunities designed to benefit learning business professionals subscribe for free at leadinglearning.com/inbox and if you're already subscribed point a colleague to leadinglearning.com/inbox
1: so the next area that we are focused on beyond AI, though related to AI in, in many ways, is what we're describing as the X factor. And you know what we mean here is that there's an ever-increasing focus on the total experience that customers, members, learners have with our offerings. So we're thinking about the X factor as in UX, LX mx user experience learner experience member experience and you can probably come up with some other places where x has been applied but that x factor is is really heavy out there right now
0: and so again in this area of the x factor we're going to offer two points in particular for your consideration and the first point is just around the growing importance of humor in human interaction. Humor is important too. Humor is also (laughs) important and humans are particularly good at humor. Some Um, are. are. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) And so in terms of what this means for learning businesses and learners, we're seeing renewed and deeper interest in things like cohorts and communities and coaching. And I think that a lot of this is driven by the desire, the need that humans have for interaction with one another. There's been some pent-up demand for that kind of human interaction because during the pandemic we were limited in our ability to gather physically together. But now as we're emerging from the pandemic, now as gathering together is safer, there's this renewed acknowledgement that cohorts and communities and coaching, any of these types of experience that really make effective use of human interaction can provide for richer, more personal, and then ultimately more effective learning experiences.
1: Yeah, it does contribute to more effective, most most certainly, um, you know, happening in interaction, people really having to express themselves, absorb other ideas, sort of play with those ideas, share them, negotiate them with others. That really contributes to a more effective learning experience than sitting in isolation in, in front of a screen and trying to absorb information, though that does have its place. I won't completely diss that. It does have its place. But there is this hunger for human interaction. Human interaction contributes to effectiveness. We ourselves are certainly susceptible to this and eager for interaction ourselves. In fact, we should mention that we got together with 15 learning business leaders in D.C. recently for a couple hours just to, to share. We had three people talk about initiatives or areas of focus. And we shared, in fact, we shared the very points that we're talking about right now on this podcast. And there was also time for other questions, more sharing. And I can say, I, I think the energy was just really high. People were eager to be able to have those kinds of conversations with others who are experiencing similar things, in our case, in this world of the learning business. And I think it's safe to say that quite a bit of learning went on there and it was really driven by human interaction.
0: The second point we'll raise around the X factor, we're going to call this accessible relevance. And this is just the growing importance of getting to content easily and getting to the right content easily and quickly. So this is really upping the emphasis on things like search. It's upping the emphasis and need for curation. And I will say that curation could include things like learning pathways that you might spell out for your learners you know, different career pathways for them. I think there's also a growing relevance and need for accessible design and accessible technology, and that can mean accessible for people with disabilities. It can mean accessible in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It can mean accessible in terms of the time and budget that people have to spend on learning just broad accessibility concerns. And then there's also a growing need and interest in smaller and more targeted content, things like micro learning, just because we have so many demands on our time. And yet we know that we need new skills and knowledge. And so micro learning can kind of be that magic bullet that helps us get what we need, but doesn't take too much time and energy. And so all of these things kind of get wrapped up in in this overall concern with the X factor and just what the experience is for the learner.
1: Right. And these are certainly topics, most of which we've covered on the podcast before. I know we've talked about curation. We've had Diane Elkins on to talk about accessibility. This is what I can remember most recently. I think we've talked about it on other occasions as well. We've certainly talked about microlearning. We maybe need to have an episode about search at some point. I'm not sure we really have focused on search enough, but just so important when you've got you know assets distributed across websites and across the web broadly, how do you provide search that's really going to get people to what they want? And by the way, how do you incorporate AI into that uh, going forward since AI is already a part of search and is going to be more so going forward? And you know, all of this leads to a need to assess, to, to rebalance, to, to renovate your portfolio. That's something we've also talked about recently. Something we use in thinking about this and we'll see how well we can do this in the context of an audio episode, because it's kind of a visual tool, but it's a double-axis chart. We're consultants at heart, and so we have to always be able to pull out a a good double-axis chart. And in this case, the axes that we're thinking about, one, running from left to right, would be one-time learning experiences over to recurring learning experiences. You can think of that as your horizontal axis. And then your vertical axis on the bottom is very simple learning experiences. And then those go up to very complex learning experiences. So as a double axis chart does, this gives you four quadrants. And in the lower left where you have one time and simple, you have things like your, I think what too often is still how e-learning is thought of is your on-demand self-paced course uh, for those one-time simple experiences. Above that, in the one-time complex, you have cohorts. Um, We've talked about cohorts on the the podcast before, and certainly those are extremely important. The bottom right quadrant where you have simple and recurring, you have things like subscription models. We've had Jack Corson on the, uh, the blog writing about his subscription programs, certainly something we want to dive into more over time. And in the top right, we've got complex and recurring, you know, this is happening over time community. And we've recently talked about community. So you can use that sort of simple double axis chart. And of course, you'll find this in the show notes. If you're one of those people who's driving along and thinking, I can't picture a double axis chart in, in my mind, I'm with you. I feel your pain. But we thought we'd try to describe that there. And we encourage you to go to the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 350 to find that double axis chart.
0: And whether you use this double access chart or something else, the take-home message is just to think about your portfolio and think about how well you are responding to and providing as close to an ideal learner experience as possible and so just really thinking through your offerings and where they fit in that portfolio and what might be missing.
1: So that's two areas. We're focused on artificial intelligence and the X factor. And that brings us to our third area, which is the work-learn connection.
0: And so we think that there's kind of growing conversation, at least that we're hearing around the role of lifelong learning in work and in people's careers. And in particular, we're seeing a lot of new interest or kind of growing interest in the academic continuing education world, where admittedly for them, this is sort of a new area. Mm -hmm. They haven't typically been as focused on work and career. And they're seeing this now as a possibility for market expansion, or at least a way to grow their influence and impact.
1: Yeah, it's been a real boom in the academic world. Because I mean, as we know, degree programs have sort of been under fire now for a number of years because of their cost, their relevance, that sort of thing. And we don't expect them to go away, but academic institutions rightly are looking at, you know, how do we engage with a different type of adult learner, the non-traditional learner, the continuing learner. That's always been there to some extent, but it's really just become sort of a booming area of academia now. And like you said, I think they're very tuned to it, possibly because it does feel like a, a new and innovative area for them to expand into. It's funny where we have seen kind of less focus on it is in the trade and professional association world. And, uh, you know, our theory there is it's sort of a we're soaking in it thing. Like it's just so much a part of what you've already been doing for so long that you kind of don't notice that it's become a big deal. And so I think that, I think there's certainly an opportunity for those organizations to wake up a little bit and realize, hey, we're playing an extremely important role already in something that's becoming more and more important. And let's let our voice and our leadership be heard here.
0: And that's on sort of the positive side. On the negative side, it's also being aware that there is new interest from others Mm. in this area, which means
1: competition. competition.
0: Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so just being aware of that. And that is another reason to perhaps revisit, reinvigorate what you're already doing to help professionals in whatever field or industry you serve. So, the two areas that we'll offer to think about in this work learn connection area the first one is around workable credentials. And what we have in mind here is that there is an evolving demand for credentials that, one, have some value to them, and that's value in the eyes of the learners themselves and in the eyes of employers, and then Two, credentials that don't necessarily require a major time and money commitment, at least not on the level that's associated with degrees or traditional kind of big certifications.
1: Right. So this is that whole alternative credential world, things like badges, things like assessment based certificates. Um, but just seeing the need and the demand for those go up. And, as you said, Salisa, seeing more ways to actually put some teeth and get some value in those. Uh, you know we find a lot of organizations that maybe have certificate programs or even have certifications taking into account enough the value of those credentials in the employment market. And this is the workable side of this. You need employers to value those. You need learners to value them as something that's gonna to contribute to their career development and advance them along their career paths. And I mean, we're focused on work here because as a work-learn area, but the same can apply in more sort of life-oriented credentials as well. But in general, credentials are having a moment now.
0: And I think if you are serious about making sure that your credential is valuable to employers, it means you need to make sure that you're hearing their voice as you develop what goes into a particular credential so that it's not just your guess about what someone needs to know to succeed in a particular position, you're actually talking to those employers about what it takes to have a successful candidate and have an employee that really just hits it out of the park in an area and bake that into your credential, take that into account.
1: Yeah, and pay attention to the standards that are evolving in this area as well. We recently had an episode with the folks at uh, one OneEdTech, um, formerly IMS Global, and they're deeply involved in standards around the portability of credentials, shareability of credentials, establishing the validity of credentials, and you want to make sure that you're paying attention to that as you're deploying different types of, um, particularly digital badges, micro-credentials that can be used in a variety of ways. So that's the workable credentials area. And then we also want to highlight the concept of demonstrable impact. And we've talked about impact a lot over the years of the of the podcast in our work. In fact, we've got enti- at least one entire episode devoted to impact. But this one, we think it's just becoming more and more important. And it relates back to some of the other things that we're talking about. There is more competition out there. There is just more noise out there in terms of learning opportunities getting people's attention, getting people to actually you know, pull out the figurative wallet or literal wallet and, and pay for learning experiences. And increasingly, you have to be able to show that you're having impact. Um, we've been asking for years about the decision factors that influence whether a person is willing to pay to participate in an educational Experience, and we've been asking this of different organizations, audiences for for lifelong learning. So members of a trade and professional association will survey that audience and ask about these decision factors. And there, there's one question that, that has been a top two or three decision factor for years now, and it's growing stronger and stronger. And what we the way we describe this is. The activity has been shown to produce demonstrable improvement in knowledge or performance for those who take part. And so we're asking survey respondents, you know, where they rank that on, you know, one to five scale, along with a number of other types of decision factors. And, you know, usually number one is the subject matter expert or the instructor, the facilitator, their reputation. But this response to whether it's actually creating demonstrable improvement is generally ranked two or three consistently for years. So learners do care about this. They do want to know that learning experiences have impact.
0: Artificial intelligence, the experience factor, and the work-learn connection all have our attention because we expect them to be of continuing and growing importance in the learning landscape. And they warrant discussion and action in learning businesses.
1: At leadinglearning.com episode 350, you'll find show notes, a full transcript and resources for this episode.
0: You'll also find options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please do subscribe as subscription numbers give us some visibility into the impact of the podcast.
1: We'd also be grateful if you take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you enjoy the show and want to give us some props for this 350th milestone episode. Salisa and I personally appreciate those reviews and ratings and they help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business.
0: And please spread the word about Leading Learning. You can do that in a one-on-one note or conversation with a colleague, or you can do it through social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 350, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook.
1: Thanks again, and see you for the next 350 episodes of the Leading Learning Podcast.